Hey there, listeners. It's your host, Tao. Welcome to another episode of Bites of the Roundtable. Today on the show, I'm happy to welcome Kamarie, a dazzling chef and business owner based in Los Angeles, California. Kamarie, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, this is Kamarie from sunny LA right now, where it is currently 10 a.m and super sunny and super warm. I'm a per- I am have a personal chef service in Los Angeles where we focus on bringing new ideas to the table of our clients and giving them a memorable experience with a mix of everything you could possibly think of when it comes to food. So when people tend to think of this journey into being into the food industry or becoming a chef, some people imagine one linear progression, but for some people they try to just fall into it. It just happens. How did you get into food? I actually knew that I wanted to be a chef at a very young age. I have a lot of friends that can say as long as they've known me, I've wanted to cook. But it took me a while to really get on the track of deciding that I wanted to do this for my life. I had a pretty intense childhood. I think I was dealt a pretty interesting card at a young age. Like I was the very rebellious child, but at the same time, my family we weren't super wealthy. We've been homeless. We've been hungry. We've been in just pretty bad situations. And I think as a young Black woman growing up in America, that was either going to steer me left or right. There weren't really a lot of options. And I did do a lot of crazy things. I did do a lot that could have put me in harm's way because I really felt like I had no other option. And I didn't know how I could pursue what I wanted to do. So I tried a lot of things. And I was also just dealing with just growing up in America as a Black woman. I decided one day that I was tired of kind of putting myself down and I really wanted to try to succeed, try to be the best that I can do. So I got a job in the restaurant industry. And at the time I was actually homeless. And I would say the kitchen really saved me. It pulled me out of this darkness that I was so used to in my life already at a young age. And I stayed in the kitchen and I got out of the places that I was, made some really, really great friends high up there. I got opportunities to work with some great chefs Obviously, I was terrified because I couldn't afford to go to a culinary school, but I had great teachers that told me that I needed heart. And that's really what I put forward that a lot of people around me might necessarily have done. So I pushed forward with everything that I had to offer. And that led me to continue my journey. And it led me to focus on being in the kitchen and to not let outside forces affect me. I struggled a lot with outside forces, with friends, with family and people that wanted a certain different life for me. I even struggled with the law at times, but I tried to stay focused, stay in the kitchen. And I made a name for myself in DC. And that really gave me the courage to continue, but also to solidify my position in kitchens as who I am. I think there aren't a lot of women and a lot of Black women and a lot of Black queer women that are in the kitchen doing what I do. I was offered really terrible low jobs for people that are freshly coming into the kitchen when I already had years of experience on my belt. And I forced people to almost give me the opportunity that they wouldn't have had I not had the voice that I have, had I not had the boldness that I had. I took a lot of people's jobs and they weren't happy about it. That taught me also 
the type of skin you have to have in the kitchen, but I always push forward to where I am kind of today, where I'm giving people advice on how to get out of their situation and do better for themselves in the kitchen and so on. You had all these experiential trainings in the kitchen as opposed to going to quote culinary school because I feel like when people think about a career in cooking, a career in the culinary and food industry, they think of people who have gone to some sort of prestigious academy and that they are suddenly equipped with these magical skills that make them good chefs. I don't agree with that sentiment at all and I believe that a lot of the insights that you provided today are a good example. Do you mind sharing with us some stories about your times in the kitchen, what kind of roles you had and how that progressed over the years? Yes. First, I'd like to say that being a Black woman, a queer woman in the kitchen is not the best circumstance. So it's always been hard. And I wanted to make sure that every decision I took in the kitchen was one that opened opportunities for people that were similar to me. I've struggled a lot with the amount of disrespect that I face in the kitchen, even if I am a supervisor as a woman and as a person of color. I've had situations where people don't necessarily want to work with me because they don't want to take advice from someone of my statue, someone that clearly had to work super, super hard to get to this position because there's no way, you know, that it was given to me. I'm not a white cis man. I had to struggle every opportunity I got I had to take but there was one instance where another chef had actually told me can I be a little nicer in the kitchen and I've actually gotten this several times where they would ask me hey maybe when you tell someone to do their job you could say please afterwards or thank you when they told me something that they would never tell to a man chef and I straight up went to that chef and I was all like if you were in my position and you decided to be nice to people people will take it for you hitting on them and he was kind of stuck and then I also informed him if he ever decided that I should stop what I'm doing and tell people to thank them and to say please instead of getting things done, then he can hop on the line and he can slowly cook everything that they can. And after that, me and him, we were actually pretty cool and he understood his roles and positions according to mine. But it's always very important to me to face someone head on and tell them exactly how you feel about a situation, especially if you're representing yourself. Because if you don't, problems will continue or people will put you down. And I know that I've been known for having a very strong person personality in the kitchen, known for being very aggressive when I want things done. But I'm okay with that because I do get things done and a lot of people respect me. And I'd rather be that than the woman in the kitchen that they say, oh, she's obviously super, super nice and try to be a pushover and stuff. I've had some really great experiences too. I worked in a kitchen that was actually mostly women and it was one of the hardest kitchens I've worked in. And not only was it mostly women, but it was very, very diverse. There was a Korean woman there was a dominican woman there was oh and we also had a deaf guy who was six five it was just the most beautifully diverse kitchen it was marcel's in dc and we did anything you could think of the hardest possible way if there was a whipped cream we needed to make it was everything by hand so we learned the hardest way so that when we left there everything would be easy the alumni there is really tight so we try to give each other jobs and opportunities wherever we go and we stay really really connected but it was 
was such a beautiful opportunity and also one of the hardest kitchens I've ever worked in. Like these women, they go hard. They were doing everything that I can't even imagine that men could calmly do in a kitchen. Like sometimes when you're in a kitchen full of men, there's so much testosterone, honestly. And it's like people get really aggressive really quick where I'm like super calm. I remind myself at the end of the day, this is just a job. If I mess up, someone else is going to mess up. So as long as we're all doing everything together, it should be okay. But I've been in kitchens where I've seen men throw things. And the worst thing I've ever seen a woman do is cry. It's kind of crazy, this idea that people have of men and women in the kitchen, like, oh, women are weak, this and this and this, but they push through. I've seen these women just burn their whole hand and then keep going for hours or be in the kitchen pregnant, like nine months pregnant and just be ready to rock out a Saturday night. And I can't imagine guys doing that. Sometimes I'm just in the kitchen almost dying, but I'm cranking out a hundred plus orders a night. So this kitchen was probably one of my most memorable experiences and it taught me so much, but it also created this community that I never really had where we had all this diversity with people from different backgrounds, but people that had so many different stories and it came out in their food. All of us had our own signature dish dishes, a different style to cooking. And we all fused it together by hanging out with each other after work, discussing our cultures. And it was just such a beautiful experience. And I wish that every kitchen can get to that type of level where it's just so much diversity in the food, in the dishes, and it's the whole world really coming together. There's definitely so many different levels of respectability politics when it comes between people in the kitchen. I really enjoyed how much you highlighted those disparities as well as the kind of feedback that you got and how you pushed back on that feedback to create more space for yourself. What are your signature dishes? I have so many things. <laughs> I always try different things and then I fall in love all over again with something new. At heart, I'm really into making pies, surprisingly. Like any type of pie, but like fusion pies too. I love like a classic apple pie, which most people wouldn't expect from me. They expect me to go above and beyond, but I'm like just a very subtle, like come home with a bad day. And then you smell like fresh apple pie in the oven like just changes life. I also like to pay homage to Merlin, obviously with the Old Bay flavors and the crabs. So I love crab cakes and I like to make crab cakes like really fancy like with roasted beets on the side a little frisade salad on top I like to really take those Merlin dishes that everyone's like oh I don't know what that is I don't know if it looks delicious and I like to make them just like super beautiful I also have an obsession with steak but more like I really like to eat steak I spend so much time researching different ways to play with different steaks I just I love red meat so much in a classic Apoive steak, black pepper, salt, grilled perfectly is my whole life. That's all I really want. Like no vegetables on the side. Just give me the steak. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you <laughs> forego the vegetables. But I'm pretty sure there are other listeners who can resonate with you on that. So how did you transfer yourself from the DMV area? For listeners who might not know what that is, the DC metro area, which includes parts of Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, DC. How did you make the move to Los Angeles and the West Coast? Honestly, it was very last minute. I was in a place in my life where I really needed change. I was in DC for so long. I opened a bar in DC, XX Plus. 
And I think I had gotten to my limits where I've decided if I stay here, I'm going to continue doing this, which wouldn't necessarily be bad, but I need to leave here and I need to go on an adventure and find something different. And I wanted to pursue more of being a personal or private chef as opposed to working in kitchens because at some point working 80 hours in 100 plus degrees, it gets really, really tiring on your body. Obviously, some people are more made for that, but I knew this isn't the type of cooking I want to do all my life. I want one-on-ones. And LA felt like the perfect place to me. And then obviously the sun and the fresh produce here is uncomparable. One day, I honestly just decided with me, my puppy, and my girlfriend, I decided, hey, we're going to leave. And one week, we packed up my whole house (laughs) and we drove across country to LA with a small U-Haul connected to my car. We visited all these national parks and we got to LA. I just felt like we were ready for it. I wanted to do more celebrity cookings, which I had the opportunity to do, which I'm doing now. And I wanted to see if I can give celebrities who have these super, super busy schedules a moment of solace to be brought back to when they're younger or when they have time or some familiar feeling. And I wanted to really push that out and leave my mark in LA. I focused on that. One of my first clients was a producer. I was cooking for him and his family. And that was a very interesting experience because it was more of a private chef. And I was more so with him and his family doing their different diets. He had three little girls. So it was almost like I'm doing five different meals two times a day. But then I realized the private chef's not for me. I don't really want to work for a family every day. I want different clients and a variety. I got the opportunity to cook for my goddess, Dita Von Tees, And that was everything because burlesque is so important to me and Dita Von is such an idol to me and I was terrified I didn't know what to cook so I was all like I'm just gonna go with vegan because this is for a photo shoot and vegans good food for a photo shoot and I did like a vegan sushi I did this red beet hummus and a couple other things and I was so terrified she wouldn't like it and she was so busy and then at one moment she came over and she had some of the red beet hummus and she goes this is just the most amazing color I almost died I was like Oh my gosh. And she said, everything here is just wonderful. This food is so delicious. And she couldn't believe that the sushi was vegan. She was like, there's no meat in this. And I was like, this is the highlights of my life. Like, this is what I want to do. This is why I'm here. I want to give her that feeling, that moment in her photo shoot where she could take a second and just talk with some stranger that's cooking and just be like, oh, this food is everything. I love the color. And I was just telling her how healthy and good it was for her body. And that was really, okay, LA, here I come. I'm here to cook for everyone. (laughs) And it was just beautiful. I have such immense goosebumps. Dina Von Tees is definitely one of my idols, so I can't imagine how you were feeling. Like, I'm sitting here at the mic. Oh my gosh, Dina Von Tees <laughs> complimented you. <laughs> I feel this kind of excited, vicarious, retrospective excitement for you. That's so wonderful. Do you mind telling us about your wonderful business? For Esprey, I took so long to really evolve this idea. I knew I wanted to switch from the kitchens to being a more private chef, but it took me, one, so long to have the confidence, and two, the mental capacity, because 
like most people, I don't always feel the most stable. And sometimes a new thing on your mental health, whether it's good or bad, can be really challenging for your stability. I pushed off starting my own business, even though everyone around me wanted me to do it because I was just so scared of losing that stability because of how I grew up. Stability is such a strong thing to me. Honestly, when COVID hit, it was around my birthday and I had slowly started working on a website, building my clientele already. And I was slowly using this name for Esprit, which means for hope. For me, that's what it is. Like food really saved me from the life that I think some people just assume that I would be living by now. And when you're in so much darkness, the only thing you have is hope. That's something so important to me, but I feel that when I'm in the kitchen and I feel that when I cook for my friends, when I cook for strangers, because sometimes people don't have the best lives, the best day, but I know that feeling when you just taste something and it all disappears for a second. It's the same reason why people would spend a whole paycheck just to eat with a stranger at one place. It's because of that feeling that you get when you're sitting at a table and you're indulging in things. So for Esprit was the start of this crazy idea I had where I just really wanted to take everything I've learned from all the places that I've been and figure out a way to give back and obviously make it lucrative. The pandemic hit and for everyone that was terrible for business. But for me, it meant the first time in my life since I was 14 years old that I didn't have to work. I spent time, one, focusing on my mental health, but also focusing on my business and focusing on what it meant to me and doing it the way that I want to do it. I felt like my image might not necessarily be for everyone, but I wanted to showcase myself For SRA isn't just a brand, it's who I am with my food. And I'm colorful, I'm bright, I'm bold, but I'm also very loving and caring. And I want people to feel that when I cook for them. I want people to feel that when my other chefs cook for them. So I took the time in the pandemic when the world was really just going crazy and unsure of what was happening to somehow focus how I'm going to put myself in a brand. And then I started cooking for clients at home where I could show them I've been tested, I can cook for you, I can still bring this brightness to your day in the middle of all this chaos, because this is really what I'm here for. I'm here to be the hope for you in all of this nonsense. I kept getting clients during the pandemic when everything just seemed so dark. It pushed me to push myself more. And I reconnected with the universe around me. Like I started hiking in these beautiful mountains. I connected with my puppies. I started making people pies. I got more people to join my business and who had like ideas, who were completely different from me that also wanted to connect with people. I have two other chefs that work with me. I guide them. I teach them things. And they also teach me things because food is a never ending lesson. And then I also realized this can be lucrative (laughs) and I don't have to push aside my mental health and my relationships just to fight to be in 
this business, all I really have to do is to be myself, embrace myself, and express that through my energy and my food. And there's other people like that with like minds that are chefs, that are cooks, that don't realize they are capable of doing that because people haven't given them their opportunity. So I've been trying to really give people opportunities to come with me and indulge in giving back in their art and giving them the platform to not create something will recreate something that I show them how to create but instead take everything that I can teach them and use that to recreate their own dishes to create their own signatures and that's really what my brand is I started it a while ago, but it really thrived during the pandemic. And it's because I really felt like people needed a little hope, even if it's a small bite. It's so interesting to hear that even during a time as chaotic and turbulent as the pandemic, you've found a way to shine and have your business shine. There's been a lot of chat about how our plate and planet are connected. So the environmental impacts of what we're eating and how we're cooking it and where we're getting our food. Would you like to talk about some of your perspectives on that, especially as a business owner and a chef? Everything I do in the kitchen, I try to keep in mind how much it's going to impact someone else, but also how much it's going to impact the environment. Because it's important to me that I give back as much as I consume and take. LA, we consume so much here, but I'm trying to really push this idea with my food about some sort of sustainability that we can all work on collectively, even if I almost have to force it without people knowing. A lot of my products that I use and containers I use for to-go foods or when people have leftovers come from EcoPro. And they do a lot with just bringing back everything you forget when it comes to what we can give up in order to give back just a little bit to our environment so we could thrive a little longer in this beautiful planet. They've got a lot of bamboo containers and recycled, reusable everything and everything's so beautiful. It's microwavable. It makes me feel better, but it also makes me feel better because I'm also almost forcing it onto people. Here are these bamboo containers that you're going to use to eat my food. And then outside of the containers, I have a lot of scraps that I use in the kitchen. When I make a stew, I throw everything in it down to the stalk because I want to utilize every part of the vegetable. When I'm breaking down a whole salmon, I use every part. I take the bones, I make a fume. If I'm not going to use the fume fish stock, then I freeze it and I use it for later. I want to utilize every part. If I could find a way to use the skin, then I'm going to do that. If I could find a way to utilize the scales in some type of beautiful fashion, I'm going to do that. Outside of that, I also give back to local farms. For me, it's important to give back to Black-owned farms, City Slickers Farms in LA, Farms to Grow, Brown Girl Farms in the Bay Area. They really mean something to me because in the United States, Black people make up so little amount of farmers and it's needed to give back and teach us we can farm, we can do this, 
there's so much problems in the Black community where we don't have access to these vegetables and so on. So I like to give back to these farms that are reteaching the youth in these questionable areas that they can farm in their backyards so they don't have to pay all of this for vegetables that aren't even usually provided in these Section 8 areas. You wonder why there's so much fast food and restaurants in Section 8. It's because they don't want people to thrive. And your food really starts how you're going to work, how you're going to live your day-to-day life. If you're eating fast food every day, if you're not getting the healthiest things, your brain's not going to work all the time well. And I'm trying to really push and be a part, be an advocate, use my voice to help other Black people, young Black women, young Black men know this food is going to affect you in the long term, even short term. So let's farm. Let's get these vegetables. Let's do this. It's odd when you go to the grocery store and you find out the healthier things are more expensive. And I want to find a way so that changes, especially for these neighborhoods where people don't have much money because then that forces them to buy the unhealthy things, which makes them unhealthy. I found in LA, there's so much more farms than there was in DC where I'm from. And it's just amazing. I could walk out my door and I see lemon trees. I see mango trees. I go into the store and I see fruits and vegetables that I had only read about when I was in DC that you have to special order. Here it is year round at almost no cost. There's a 99 cent store where literally everything is under 99 cents and they have groceries there. It's like nothing you've ever heard of. It's amazing. Like I go there and get like five grapefruits for $3. It's kind of crazy, but I love it. I love the fruits and vegetables. I try to utilize it a lot in my food. So people focus on, Hey, it can be beautiful and it can still be at a good price and it can still taste delicious all wrapped up in one. And it could still be good for the heart, the soul and your body. Chef Kamarie, thank you so much for sharing with us your journey into the food industry, your life story, as well as tidbits of all your wonderful projects in Los Angeles. Do you have any parting words of advice? Anybody that wants to get into the food industry, just do it. Don't wait. Just do it. Put your foot in and dive all the way. Don't listen to what anyone tells you. Do it. And if you want to get involved, go online, do the research. There's so many opportunities out there to give back. You just have to take the time in your day and really pursue that. Hey there listeners, it's your host Tao. Thank you so much for tuning in to the sixth episode of Bites of the Roundtable. It really means a lot to us. We hope you enjoyed these sound bites from a lovely gastronome from across the world. Much love to Chef Camarie of Four Esprit for sharing her stories and journey as a chef and business owner within the food industry. Listeners, even when you think you finally mastered that difficult recipe you've been practicing a hundred times, just remember, food is a never-ending lesson. 